Hello and welcome to Beyond What You See, a podcast where I examine my favorite books from a Muslim perspective. This is our second episode, and I really struggled with this one. <laughs> I was a little bit overwhelmed um, and feeling unmotivated, and I think I was making this a lot harder for myself than it needed to be. So this time, I have fewer points, or fewer scripted points, and we're just going to see how it works out, and have some fun with it. So, before we get into the meat of this episode, which will be um, a quick summary of the first chapter of Lord of the Rings, as we said last episode, that's what we're starting with, um, I wanted to acknowledge a few comments that I got, which is really exciting. Um, So our first episode was just introducing this podcast and explaining why I was doing it and who inspired me and how it came to be. Um, And I asked people who were listening if they could please send in um, a comment on what they thought of the podcast, what their favorite books were, and how they got into Lord of the Rings, and also if they ever looked beyond what they saw on the page to connect what they were reading with some greater truth. Uh, I'm very lucky to have a friend of mine that I met online through my blog. Her name is Hibba. She's fantastic. And Hibba said, This was a lovely first episode. Thank you for creating this podcast. It sounds like it's going to be a really fun podcast to follow. My favorite books so far have been quite varied in nature. While I enjoy writing and reading fantasy, I have to admit that I have not delved deep into the Lord of the Rings universe, though it's been the plan for ages. I loved reading The Book Thief, I Am the Messenger, The Historian, Rebecca, The Great Gatsby, and several others. I think the few times that I was able to really look past what I was reading and really think about what it meant to me and to others was when I was analyzing literary pieces in high school and university. Literature was my favorite topic, so I really look forward to this podcast and what it brings with it. Hiba, thank you. She is a wonderful writer. I'm so glad to have sort of met her (laughs) online. Um, I'm also glad that she's coming along on this podcast journey with me and the rest of you who are listening in. Um, Yeah, you know, I also had difficulty getting into Lord of the Rings, which I talked about in the first episode. And the high school... English courses and university English courses really were, I feel like, I really honed my skill uh, at critical reading and, you know, making connections to things and inspired a love in me um, to do that, despite deadlines and essays and all that fun stuff. (laughs) So, uh, I'm glad, I'm sure this is a universal experience, well, not universal, but a quite common experience that other people um, are able to really think about what they're reading uh, through school and things like that. Um, I got another comment from Karen Hosh, I believe her last name is. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. And I'm really excited to read this one too. So she said, I loved your intro. I'm excited to hear your first episode. I'm going to try and read along with you. It's been ages since I've read Lord of the Rings. Um, this was on Facebook. We have a Facebook page now. It's beyond what you see podcast, I believe. I will double check that. (laughs) So um, let me just check that right now while I'm here. Why not? Facebook. Yep. Facebook.com slash forward slash beyond what you see podcast. So Karen commented there. She said she loved the intro. She was excited to read along. So I asked her how she ended up getting to Lord of the Rings. And she sent a really lovely message back. She says, it's a bit of a funny story. I have heard of so many people who watched the movies with their parents or whose parents read the books to them and encouraged them to discover the magic of Tolkien for themselves. With me, it was the other way around. My mother saw the animated Lord of the Rings movie when she was pregnant with me, and she hated it. By the way, I don't blame her mom. It's slightly horrifying. (laughs) She half-jokingly blames the movie for the fact that I cried so much as a baby. So when my friends told me how great the book was, I was skeptical. One day, when I was at university, I was at the train station bookstore looking for something to read on the train. They had a tiny shelf of foreign language books, I forgot to say, I'm from Germany, and on the shelf was a paperback of The Lord of the Rings in one volume. On a whim, I bought it. I started reading it on that train ride and I have been hooked ever since. The Fellowship of the Rings hit theaters a year later and I've seen all the movies a million times, though never the animated ones. Read The Hobbit and The Silmarillion and loved every word of it. I discovered the audio podcast this year and have been bringing, uh, binging an unexpected podcast and through them found you. Looking forward to your next episode. Karen, oh my goodness, what a wonderful way to get into Lord of the Rings. I'm so glad you gave it a shot despite 
being perhaps slightly traumatized by the animated <laughs> movies. Um, and I'm just trying to imagine just sitting on the train in the rain with a massive volume of all of the books of Lord of the Rings and just getting into it. That that must have been magical. What a beautiful way to get into it. Uh, I'm so glad you got it a shot. I'm glad you love the movies as well and that you read The Hobbit and The Silmarillion. I only read The Silmarillion um, a few years ago because it was very, very daunting to me. It's so big and so expansive and so many names and so many things and covers such a long period of time. But I'm glad I did it and I remember some of it. And I probably should do a reread of that too. But maybe another time. Thank you so much, Hiba and Karen, for your wonderful comments. I'm so glad to have proof of engagement because <laughs> I don't know if anyone's listening. But here is proof. If anyone else would like to tell me um, how they got into Lord of the Rings, or what their favorite books are, or when um, something that they read on the page really resonated with them, they can email me at beyondwhatyouseepodcast at gmail.com, or comment at our Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash beyondwhatyouseepodcast. Um, I will probably link both these things below in the transcript, um, or in the the description of the post. Yes, I will do that. Alrighty, Alrighty. then. I have to take a quick cut to uh, plug my computer into a charger because it was at 10%. As we know, computers like to die on us. Okay, so where was I? Ah, yeah. So I was thinking Hibba and Karen and also all of you other lovely readers and commenters and supporters and likers. I appreciate every single one of you. I'm so glad you're along for the ride. Um... Let's move in. Let's delve in. We said we would begin with the Fellowship of the Ring, chapter one. Um, I'm going to summarize what happened in our first chapter and then delve into, yeah, delve into some of the points I made. Um, I gotta tell you, I was really surprised that I could make points. <laughs> um, there was, I mean, I just, I'm always surprised by how much is in every chapter and page of Lord of the Rings. He really was a master of writing. There's so much goodness that you can just pull from this. I'm really excited. I, I wasn't expecting, I was worried a little bit that the first chapter would be um, devoid of points. <laughs> but I shouldn't have thought so. I, uh, I took out my book. I made a lot of notes or margin notes. I'm really excited to get through it. So without further ado, um, let's see. So chapter one is titled A Long Expected Party. And it begins with, when Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Then it goes on to describe Bilbo a little bit, and we learn about the history of, of Bilbo and his nephew Frodo. We learn about the way hobbits are. We learn... What else do we learn? We learned that they love gossip. <laughs> they love gossip. They love family life. They love genealogy. They love talking about it. And and we get a glimpse into village life and what it's like. Um, interestingly, Sam, Samwise Gamgee, Frodo's manservant and friend, is perhaps the first person to be introduced directly I want to double check this because I wrote that down, but now I'm not sure. Ah, uh, no, I am incorrect. Let's correct that. So actually, we get introduced to Bilbo first. So he's the first person to speak. He speaks with Gandalf a little bit. We learn about we have we learn about the party and the setup for the party and how excited everyone is. Um, we hear Bilbo's dreaded. Speech. <laughs> I say dreaded not because I dread it, but because the hobbits dread it. Um, perhaps with some reason. He does sort of insult them <laughs> multiple times, which I find hilarious. Um, he then says he has an announcement very loudly, puts on his secret magic ring, and disappears from all hobbit sight for the rest of his life, pretty much. They never see him again. Uh, we see him again because he goes back to... Hmm... He goes back to Bag End, has a confrontation with Gandalf. Gandalf is very stern with him when he refuses to give up his magical ring, which Gandalf has reason to be worried about. Bilbo eventually does give it up, 
though not without severe difficulty, says he feels much better, sings a short song, wanders off. Then the chapter kind of changes perspective um, and goes with Frodo. So Frodo explains away his uncle and passes on the gifts that Fro uh, Bilbo left behind, which were all vaguely insulting and very hilarious to read. For example, Lobelia Sackville Wagons, as a present, was given a case of silver spoons. Bilbo believed that she had acquired a good many of spoons while he was away on his former journey. Lobelia knew that quite well. When she arrived later in the day, she took the point at once, but she also took the spoons. It's hilarious. <laughs> it was quite fun to read. Um, lots of presents are given away. We learn a little bit about Frodo, who is, I would say, rescued by the commotion, from the commotion by Mary, and is Pippin here? I think so. Yes. And poor Frodo is a bit stressed out. Yeah, Pippin's not here, but Mary is. Um, Gandalf tells him to keep the ring secret and safe. Hmm. And then Gandalf says he has to go. And Frodo did not see him again for a long time. And that's how the chapter ends. Sorry for my choppy uh, summary. I was flipping through it. I did take notes, but I was flipping through it because I needed to double check. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so, this chapter was, like I said, really interesting, full of depth, and full of more than I expected. I had a lot of fun rereading it because it's been a while. I've listened to the audiobook mm, within a few months ago, I think. Um, but, you know, minds drift along. Reading is a little bit different. And these are the points that I wanted to talk about. So, there is a lot of talk about adab, which I would um, say is the Arabic word for etiquette or character in terms of how people behave in public. Manners would be another good word. There's a lot of talk about generosity with the giving away of gifts. And Bilbo's considered quite a generous hobbit. Um, there's references to the court of public opinion, which with the gossip of the, of the hobbits. There's talk about the dunya or this world and love of this world and connection to this world and obsession with this world and the way that it affects affects your character and your mannerisms sometimes for the worst um, and then there's references to death I would say um, subtle references but I, re I related it to the way that death is handled in Islam and I thought it was very interesting so let's go with character yes so the hobbits marvel at Bilbo and his well-preserved and unchanged figure um, and it says it seemed unfair that anyone should possess apparently perpetual youth as well as reputedly inexhaustible wealth it will have to be paid for they said it isn't natural and trouble will come of it this is interesting because they're right <laughs> It will have to be paid for. It isn't natural, and trouble does come of it. Because Bilbo's apparent per parents' perpetual youth is because of his ring, uh, which, as we know, is one of the great wings of power, and the ring to bind them all, and in the darkness bind them. Yes. Um, trouble does come of it, of course. Um, and it's our first... Hmm, it's our first moment of dialogue in this chapter. And it's said by an unspecified they, which we can assume is general hobbits in the Shire. Those who know Bilbo anyways, or know of Bilbo. And I think that's really interesting because here is, um, as we reference the court of pu public opinion, here is, here is a group of people making an assumption that turns out to be correct um, that stems from a feeling of unfairness and a suggestion that he has too much of a good thing and yeah I think it's interesting this is why uh, in Islam we, we kind of encourage people to say uh, when we see something beautiful or pretty or wonderful or good or or even bad or not so good we say mashallah which means 
Um, it's a, as a law, oh, as God willed it. That's to remind us that nothing is begotten on our own and God gave it to us. Uh, so that would kind of protect against envy or it should protect against envy and also protect people from the envy of others. So despite this public opinion of uh, Bilbo, where they sort of shake their heads and have dire pronouncements, <laughs> the next few lines then says, um, he remained on visiting terms with his relatives, and he had many devoted admirers among the hobbits of poor and unimportant families. So despite what the public opinion first says, and what we first learn about Bilbo, he then followed up with this emphasis that he's very generous. He's close to his family, he takes care of poor hobbits, and unimportant family, he's not so interested in class and class distinction. Um... And then it, let's move on to page 20, well, 28 in my, my edition. And it says, The history and character of Mr. Bilbo Baggins became once again the chief topic of conversation, and the older folk suddenly found their reminiscences in welcome demand. So again, there's this emphasis on his character, on who he is. Besides his wonderful and fantastic and strange history, there's a concern on who Bilbo Baggins is, right? It's almost as if... To the hobbits of the Shire, who you are, how you handle yourself, and your history makes who you, like makes your whole person, person. Which would I mean makes sense. That's how we consider everyone: your history as well as your character. Um, and we mostly hear good things about Bilbo, even though he does sometimes come across as stuffy and self-important and not so nice. Not so nice. He's he's generally a good person, and people think that despite despite his riches and his youth. A very nice, well-spoken, gentle hobbit is Mr. Bilbo, as I've always said, the gaffer declared. With perfect truth, says the narrator, or yes, the narrator, I would say, for Bilbo was very polite to him, calling him Mr. Hamfast, and consulting him constantly upon the growing of vegetables in the matter of roots, especially potatoes, the gaffer was recognized as the leading authority by all in the neighborhood, including himself. So, Bilbo treats his what might want what what one might call his servant very politely and acknowledges his greater knowledge in things like growing of vegetables and roots and potatoes which the gaffer undoubtedly has and also makes sure to let the gaffer know that he appreciates his knowledge and as a gentle hobbit or a gentleman or somebody who's not working the fields for example um he succeeds to the better knowledge of those who are um, of a different class than him without any issue. He's very polite. Um, then they talk about Frodo, who's his nephew and whose father was a decent, respectable hobbit. Um, and there was never much to tell of him till he was drowned. So decent, respectable hobbit. So Frodo comes from a line of good people, generally. So Bilbo... Uh, his uncle and his father, Drogo Baggins, are decent, respectable, polite, generous folk. Um, and then when they say that there's never much to tell of Drogo, I assume that they're saying that he never went, went on any adventures. He was nothing strange. He was nothing um, to marvel at in the way Bilbo is. Uh, of course, until he drowned, which was a tragedy. And then there's all kind of speculation on that. And... And I thought it was actually really funny that they're all gossiping about Bilbo and Frodo's family and their um, relatives and their lives and their history, whether they approve or not. Um, and there's a, this emphasis on good character or treating people well or thinking well of others, even while they're gossiping. So, for example, it says, um, one of the hobbits, a Mr. Sandyman, says, And I heard she, meaning Drogo's wife, pushed him in, and he pulled her in after him. When they were on a boat, and that's how they drowned. Drowned. <laughs> drowned. I'm turning into a hobbit. And the gaffer says, You shouldn't listen to all you hear. There is no call. There isn't no call to go talking and pushing and pulling. Boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still without looking for the for uh, without looking further for the cause of trouble. Which is really nice, which is which is true. It's uh, it's a reminder, despite their gossip, to not start insinuating negativity. Which is um 
which is also a what's the word which is also a value in islam that first of all gossip is uh looked down upon and prohibited because it's backbiting it's talking badly of people and then also to give people oh i don't remember the correct phrasing or the specific phrasing but to give people many 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 excuses for their behavior their actions or for the results of things before we assume the, the worst to always assume the best of people so so yeah so the gaffer says well we don't need to go start suggesting that there was murder or suspicious action involved when we can just assume that the boats are difficult to handle and there was an accident um yeah so after Frodo's orphaned he's taken in by his uh his other family his mother's side of the family the um the brandy bucks yes the brandy bucks and old master Gorbaduk never had fewer than a couple of hundred relations in the place, which is uh, Brandy Hall, where Frodo stays when he's younger. Mil Mr. Bilbo never did a kinder deed than when he brought the lad back to live among decent folk. So here's another ironic thing. The gaffer says, don't talk bad about people, generally. And then he <laughs> he kind of implies that the Brandy Bucks uh, of, uh, of, of Buckland are not decent folk because Bilbo did something kind to bring Frodo away from them. Um, which is also really interesting because even though he's uh, kind of insulting the Bucklanders, he does it while raising Mr. Bilbo and emphasizing this good deed that he did where he rescued his nephew and brought them in. And then, of course, he follows that up with, uh, it was a nasty shock for those Sackville Bagginses, which are another relations, because they're supposed to inherit Bag End if Bilbo doesn't have an heir. Unfortunately, Bilbo, unfortunately for them, Bilbo declares Frodo his heir. Um, another, another reference to Mr. Bilbo's generosity, it says, Gaffer says, I know nothing about jewels. Mr. Bilbo is free with his money and there seems no lack of it, which is really, which is really nice. So we're learning a lot about Bilbo. We're learning that despite his queerness, as they say, and his history and his, uh, his no good adventuring, he's generous, he's generous, he's generous. He gives, he gives, he gives. And this is actually important to establish in his character um, because of the way the ring is handled. It needs it's it's a way of showing the the reader who's paying attention that the ring changes Bilbo, changes him deeply, or affects him deeply, and it has a strong effect on those it's around. Um, and we learn this almost immediately. It's being set up that Bilbo is a generous person. Right? He's generous, he's kind, he's giving, he's, um, he treats people well, he, he's not too concerned with class, he takes the advice of those who know better than him without any pride, and yet when it comes to giving away the ring, that's all turned off. You see him clutching at it, you see him making... Um, uh, insulting assumptions of Gandalf you see him arguing with Gandalf who knows better who knows better than Bilbo and who Bilbo knows that Gandalf knows better than him um, so it really turns him against himself it changes who he is completely hmm. yeah um, and then again you can see let's see you can say what you like gaffer says Sandyman but that again's a queer place and his folk are queer and you can say what you like about what you know no more of than you do of boating, Mr. Sandyman returned, retorted the gaffer, disliking the miller even more than usual. If that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. For example, oh, let me restart. So he says, da -da -da -da, the miller says, he's uh, Bilbo's often away from home, and look at the outlandish folk that visit him, dwarves coming in at night, and that old wandering conjurer Gandalf and all. You can say what you like, Gaffer, but Bag End's a queer place and his folk are queer. And you can say what you like about what you know no more of than you do of boating, Mr. Santiban, retorted the Gaffer, disliking the Miller even more than usual. If that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these part parts. There's some not far away that wouldn't offer a pint of beer to a friend if they lived in a hole with golden walls. So again, Bilbo's generosity is emphasized. He welcomes strangers, even uh, people like dwarves and Gandalf, who's considered a conjurer. 
Um, they do things proper at Bag End. Our Sam says that everyone's going to be invited to the party, and there's going to be presents, mark you, presents for all, this very month as is. So again, Bilbo's generous. He gives, he welcomes, he opens his doors to people, even strangers, even strangers in the sense of strange people. And uh, even before the party starts, Bilbo gave a few pennies away, but not a single squib or cracker was forthcoming, to the po disappointment of the onlookers. So those people who were really excited for Gandalf's legendary fireworks. Bilbo still gives things away, even before his party, even though he's promised, or there's a rumor going around, that he's going to give gifts. So again, the emphasis on giving and giving and giving. Then we get closer to the day. Um, we come to the day of the party. Bilbo met the guests and additions at the new white gate in person. He gave away presents to all and sundry. The latter were those who went out again by a back way and came in again by the gate. Hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays. So, this is also showing that hobbits generally are givers. They give away things on their own birthdays, which, uh, let me tell you, my mom loves that idea. She says that all us kids should give her things on our birthdays because she's the one who gave birth to us. <laughs> But um, back to the story. Uh, Bilbo met the guest himself, so greeted them himself. He's a great host. He gave away presents to all and sundry, meaning he gave away presents to everyone, and then even gave presents again to those people who left and came back wanting more presents. Every guest guest is welcomed. There's food and dance and music and games and firecracker uh, firecrackers, etc. Um, so here Bilbo's. As I said, Bilbo's character is being established. Um, Bilbo had been specializing in food for many years, and his table had high reputation. I underline the word reputation because essentially what the most of the chapter is doing is setting up Bilbo's reputation. And the good and the bad. And the bad would be his strange adventuring, which is not something that hobbits generally do. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, let's see. So the funny thing is, his reputation is set up as being slightly strange, but very generous, very kind, very um, respectful. And then his speech happens, and everyone immediately says that when uh, Bilbo vanishes very suddenly, it's generally agreed that the joke was in very bad taste. So that's so funny. So the court of public opinion has changed quite suddenly. That suddenly they're like, he's mad, I've always said so, they thought it was absurd, they thought it was rude, a ridiculous prank. So, I just wanted to point out that, like, despite knowing Bilbo, or having a assumption of him, and generally having an opinion of him, and his behavior, and how he treats people, and despite knowing him pretty much all his life, even though he's a little strange... Their understanding of Bilbo goes from being a generous, kind person to being rude, di ridiculous, silly, insulting, and crazy, uh, silly old fool, as Rory Brandybuck Brandy says. Which just goes to show, don't, don't, uh, how am I going to say this? Don't stake so much of your happiness, or any of your happiness, really, on... The way other people think of you because that just changes in a flash no matter what no matter how wonderful you are no matter how many good things you do for people people might change their mind or they might not you know close good friends will know better um on top of that people change their mind not knowing the full story right so when somebody comes and tells you oh or there's a rumor about somebody don't believe it either Go find out, because there might be more to the story than you know. Don't immediately assume, because of something that looks, for example, ridiculous, rude, inappropriate, and absurd, or mad, or foolish, just because it looks that way, doesn't mean that it is that way. Even if you think you know, and you can't imagine an explanation for a situation, for an action, definitely look beyond that. <laughs> look beyond what you've seen, right? Ask questions, if you can, politely. Right? Reserve your judgment. Or don't have judgment at all. Just be like, you know, I don't understand. Maybe there's more to the story. And that's a good reminder to myself, too. And I say this because of certain things going on in my life that people want to uh, make assumptions despite 
let's say, years and years of knowing somebody and getting a lot of help from them, they think they know the entirety of a story and they get their opinions from the court of public opinion, which changed in a flash towards a person that they've known for a very long time. Can you sense my bitterness through the microphone? <laughs> right. So, Bilbo's reputation has changed. He's deemed mad, foolish, rude, insane, etc. Despite also being quite generous and kind and respectful. And so we get, as readers, we, we learn all this. We see all this. And we understand perhaps a little bit more. More is explained. Bilbo explains his little prank. Uh, Gandalf says he helped him with it. And then we see a strange and frightening shift in Bilbo's character. So, Gandalf and Bilbo are arguing about the ring, and Gandalf wants Bilbo to give up the ring to Frodo, leave it behind, not take it with him on his uh, next adventure. So, Gandalf looked again very hard at Bilbo, and there was a gleam in his eyes. I think, Bilbo, he said quietly, I should leave it behind. Don't you want to? Well, yes and no. Now it comes to it, I don't like parting with it at all, I may say, and I don't really see why I should. Why do you want me to? he asked, and a curious change came over his voice. A change, okay? He's changed, he's transformed. It was sharp with suspicion and annoyance. I underline those two words because uh, those are considered in Islam and probably in many other traditions. Uh, negative traits and devilish traits. To be suspicious of your fellows, it's considered devilish or satanic. And annoyance generally uh, leads to uh, bad manners or being rude to other people. Bilbo says, You are always badgering me about my ring, but you have never bothered me about the other things that I got on my journey. Gandalf very patiently says, No, but I had to badger you. I wanted the truth. It was important. I underline that too. Because of certain things also going on in my life that I'm not going to talk about very much here. But because this is, this, is, um, this is a really good lesson, right? Bilbo's annoyed, suspicious, and feels badgered. Most of that, I would say like 98% of that, is the ring, right? It, wants, it creates this possessiveness in the bearers and those around it. But also, some of that is just, I think maybe just Bilbo's anxiety. He just doesn't want to leave it behind. Um, but also, it's not, his, it's not his character to be this way about his things. He, you, can see, you see that he gives things away. He's very generous and kind. and um, The whole point of all this gift giving, anyways, was to make it easier for him to give up the ring. He's aware that he's being weirdly possessive of the ring. He's aware of himself. Gandalf, his very old friend, who's very wise, a great wizard, a teacher, if you will, says, No, but I had to badger you. I wanted the truth. It was important. So this is interesting, too, because Gandalf admits that to badgering. Badgering as in bothering, harassing, annoying. <laughs> Poor Bilbo. Right? He admits to it. He doesn't say he wasn't badgering. He doesn't say it's all in, Bil in Bilbo's head. He's like, no, for sure. I am bothering you. But the reason is important. So it might seem that I'm just harassing you for no reason, but the reason is because he wants the truth. It's important. So here's a theme in the books and something that we should aspire to in our lives. Truth over comfort. Truth over comfort. Truth over comfort. I'm going to say it three times. <laughs> truth over comfort. Fourth time. This happens a lot in the future way in the future when Gandalf meets uh, Theoden the Rohan king king of the Rohirrim something very similar to this is said where they say Gandalf is always coming around bothering people harassing people and proclaiming doom and gloom and all these things but the point that Gandalf does that and he knows people don't like it and he knows people don't welcome it and that it's uncomfortable and worrying and frightening the news that he brings but he does it anyways because the truth is important and it is important and there's there's a quote by Dumbledore that I'm just forgetting now just to switch to Harry Potter very quickly there's a quote by Dumbledore 
about it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live and there's something in that true that is really just saying truth over comfort again it's daydreaming and wishing and wanting is comfortable familiar and safe and what people are prone to doing but forgetting to live forgetting to live in the truth in reality in the way things really are not a good idea so uh, I'm trying to read my note here and I just can't read my own writing ah right okay <laughs> so Gandalf says you've had it quite long enough you won't need it anymore Bilbo unless I'm quite mistaken Bilbo flushed and there was an angry light in his eyes his kindly face grew hard so there's a thing me and my family and I'm assuming other Muslims often say where we might look at a person and say oh their face is hard or their face is dark or I got a dark vibe from them and it's not talking about skin tone it's not talking about skin tone it's talking about a vibe or aura or sense that we might get from some people that is not good or a warning or something perhaps devilish or uh, disturbing or upsetting right we might see somebody uh, who has bad intentions and we can sense that um, and we might say that oh their face looks dark and I don't know how to explain it but I've seen it when for example when I'm miserable or feeling unhappy or just being a grumpy pants my mom can tell she's like your face has gone dark and she advises me to uh, to do some prayers or read from our holy book and that will lighten our spirit up that will bring light to ourselves bring purity to us and relieve of us of that some of that dark mood so I just found it interesting that it's here as well his kindly face grew hard there's this darkness in him and that is the rings impression uh, on him his pressure on him he, uh, his his uh, the rings I forgot what I was going to say here. The rings pushing him to be something he's not. And so it's changing him. Gandalf says there's no need to get angry. Bilbo said if, if, um, if I am angry, it's your fault. And then he says, um, I shall keep it, I say. Gandalf stood up. He spoke sternly. You will be a fool if you do, Bilbo. You make that clearer with every word you say. It has got far too much hold on you. Let it go. And then you can go yourself and be free. So here, I connected this to our next theme, which is dunya, or worldly love and the world, the material world. Gandalf, his teacher and guide, is saying, let go of this thing that's holding you back and be free. Which is beautiful. You... And, and it's true. This is the only thing that Bilbo is really possessive of. And it's holding him back and it's changing him for the worse. And making him miserable and angry and suspicious of dear friends and teachers and guides. And then, as soon as he does give it up, drops it. Hmm, no, as soon as he agrees to give it up and realizes that this isn't who he is. And that Gandalf isn't trying to rob him and that he is a friend. And he gets frightened out of the grip of the ring. He says, I am sorry, but it felt so queer. And yet it would be a relief in a way not to be bothered with it anymore. It has been so growing on my mind lately. This is another reference to the dunya or our material world, which occupies us, stresses us out, uh, makes us feel maybe depressed and anxious. So Gandalf says, trust my judgment. Stop possessing it. Give it to Frodo and I will look after him. So here, Gandalf doesn't say that the ring is possessing him, perhaps because he doesn't know yet, but also because a lot of this is just, not a lot of this, but part of this is that Bilbo needs to give it up. The ring will never let him go, so Bilbo needs to stop possessing it and being possessed in return, which is quite beautiful. Finally, he gives it up. He says, well, that's that. Now I'm off. He's already lighter. Um, as soon as he... As soon as he drops it, a spasm of anger passed swiftly over the hobbit's face again. Suddenly it gave way to a look of relief and a laugh. And now Bilbo, who, re who he really is, has returned. And he feels much lighter. He says, what fun, what fun to be off again, off on the road with dwarves. 
This is what I have really been longing for for years. Goodbye, he says, looking at his old home and bowing to the door. Goodbye, Gandalf. I like that in this quote, the capital R for road was capitalized. Or, hmm, that didn't make any sense. So <laughs> the word road, the, capital, the, the R is capitalized because it immediately put me in mind of uh, Sirat al-Mustaqim, which means the uh, path of righteousness, I believe. It's also, it's it's just generally the, the straight path that um, Muslims are meant to, to uh, walk on to meet our Lord and to please him and to obey him and be as good as we can and as worshipful as we can. And uh, we call it the road. <laughs> and here, Bilbo, having given up his worldly obsession, his worldly possession, the ring, his greatest worldly possession, is now ready to go on this road, this journey to goodness and light and relief and freedom. And I realized when I was reading this that this is a um, subtle reference, or it's subtle? I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but it's a reference to death because Bilbo's never seen again by the hobbits. Um, this meeting with Gandalf is never seen by anyone else. And he says, uh, let's see, take care, I don't care, as in he has no cares. Don't you worry about me, I am as happy now as I have ever been, and that is saying a great deal. But the time has come, I am being swept off my feet at last. This was really beautiful to me because this is how Muslims are encouraged to see death as a return, a freedom, a happiness, um, to be brought back to God, to be returned to the state that we're always supposed to be in, the, the, the place, the goal that we've always supposed to have, which is our Lord. So after we've left these, this world and removed our, our shackles <laughs> and passed on, we're supposed to be feeling like we've been swept off our feet at last and moved to meet God and our true purpose. And then the song, which I found lovely, is this. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whither then I cannot say. So this just seemed to me like a reference to the journey of life. Right? So he's pursuing it with eager feet, pursuing the end, the journey, the, the road itself, the road of goodness, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way, which um, I would say is the path to God, where many paths and errands meet. So in the, on, the, on the path, there is a lot of other paths and a lot of errands and things that we must do in our journey of life. And whither then, so after that, I cannot say, because none of us can really say where we're going to end up, but we can hope that we follow along the road as we're supposed to. Um, Gandalf says, Goodbye, my dear Bilbo, until our next meeting. He said softly and went back indoors. And that's also how we're supposed to bid farewell to those who pass away. Because we will meet again in the hereafter. We believe in a hereafter. We believe in being reunited with our loved ones. Um, and the next time... Let's see, the next time Gandalf meets Bilbo is in Rivendell, which is sort of a place between places, um, which I'll probably talk about later, but yeah. Um, Frodo then comes home, Bilbo's gone by then, and Frodo says, I knew in my heart that he really meant to go. Then Gandalf says, I think he really, really he preferred slipping off quietly in the end, and that really just nailed <laughs> hammered the nail in that this this is a reference to death <clears throat> especially because then Gandalf says you'll find his will in all other documents in there uh, talking about uh, an envelope and yeah so Bill leaves behind a will he's never seen by other hobbits again besides um, those who go with Frodo on his journey he slips off quietly in the end he talks about uh, next meeting he talks about a journey which is really beautiful. Um, and then we get a few more references to uh, Bilbo's personality, which is, like anybody, not perfect, not wholly evil or foolish or mad or 
uh, insulting and not wholly good either. So there's a long passage on all his very insulting gifts, which were really fun to read. And then it finally closes with, but of course, most of the things were given where they would be wanted and welcome. The poorer hobbits, and especially those of Bagshot Row, did very well. So Bilbo is a bit foolish and mm, prank, pranks those who are well off and who can afford to be pranked. But he gives a lot to those who want and, wel and would welcome his gifts. Those who are poorer, those who live and his neighbors, which is a very, um, very beautiful way to live your life. Be good to, your, to leave behind legacies for, um, or gifts for your neighbors and those who are in need. And it's also the way that we should be living our lives, we as human beings and also uh, explicitly as Muslims. Now, <clears throat> hmm. yes, so now I wanted to read a quick quote by um, well, I'll read the a short bio of a saint and scholar. His name is Al-Ghazali. There's a reason for this. And then a quote, and it ties into what we've, or I've been talking about in this first chapter. So, this is from, uh, Wikipedia. So forgive me for any <laughs> misinformation. So, Al-Ghazali, his full name is Abu Hamid Muhammad ibn Muhammad At-Tusi Al-Ghazali or the Latinized Al-Ghazalis, or Al-Ghazal, who was born around 1058 and died 19th of December 1111, was one of the most prominent and influential philosophers, theologians, jurists, and mystics of Sunni Islam. He was of Persian origin. During his life, he authored over 70 books on science, Islamic reasoning, and Sufism, um, but attributed to him are more than 400 books. Al-Ghazali had an important influence on both later Muslim philosophers and Christian medieval philosophers. Margaret Smith writes in her book, Al-Ghazali, the Mystic, there can be no doubt that Al-Ghazali's work, works would be among the first to attract <clears throat> the attention of these European scholars. Then she emphasizes, the greatest of these Christian writers who was influenced by Al-Ghazali Al was St. Thomas Aquinas, 1225-1274, who made a study of the Arabic writers and admitted his indebtedness to them, having studied at the University of Naples, where the influence of Arab literature and culture was predominant at the time. In addition, Aquinas' interest in Islamic studies could be attributed to the infiltration of Latin Averroism in the 13th century, especially at the University of Paris. So, um, I would suggest anyone who's interested to research more about Al-Ghazali and the amazing contributions to uh, philosophy and um, Islamic law and oh my gosh so much more I don't even know that much but my dad has many of his books um, so the reason I looked him up is actually on the suggestion of my mother so I was uh, telling her about some of my uh, findings in this chapter and she said oh you should find a quote from Al-Ghazali that deals with death um, and character and how we deal with um, the material world, um, we as in Muslims, how we should be dealing with the material world, and people in general, honestly, it's, it's healthy and good for all of us. So the quote that I find, which is really like beautiful, is this. Know that death is an expression used for the journey from this world to the divine presence, for to God is the ultimate return. Anyone traveling to a royal court is in need of three things for his journey a severing of the ties that keep him from advancing, a preparation of provisions for the road, and an acceptable gift for the king, to present to him and by which to attain his pleasure. Similarly, the traveler journeying to the divine presence is in need of three things, preparation of his provisions, a cutting of ties, and the offering of a gift. The cutting of ties means a severing of the heart from the pleasures of this world. Does that not apply? Is that not apply to Bilbo's journey? He prepares his provisions, his things he needs. He gets his old cloak, his old sword, he gets his book. And he cuts his ties to the hobbits and to the ring. The ring especially, which was holding him back and changing him for the worse. And the offering of a gift. That we will talk about more in Rivendell. Uh, when we get to that chapter, I'll expand upon it. But I would say the offering of a gift would be his story, his lesson, his legacy, his truth the way his generosity, the way he lived his life, right? And as Ghazali uh, says, the cutting of ties means a severing of the heart from the pleasures of this world. 
So perhaps it doesn't seem like a pleasure to hold the ring, but there is an attachment in the heart for it. That's why it's so hard to give it up. There's a possession of the ring and you possessing the ring and the ring possessing you back. And it's a reason it changes you. It's so hard to let go. There's something that it becomes dear to you. It becomes precious to you. Um, it is a pleasure to have it in some way, while it is also a torment. Um, yeah, so this was a little bit of a choppy podcast, I must admit. But I hope that I made sense and my connections made sense. And, um, you know, it's only my second episode and my second time ever doing this. But I hope you like it. I hope it made sense. I hope you were able to follow along to the uh, connections I was making. Um, yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm really frankly <laughs> blown away by the ways that I can connect and the beauty that I can see. Not that it's from me, but like I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, to have these books and to read them and also connect them to my tradition, my religion and the way I'm supposed to be living my life and to just gain something beautiful from, from the books. Um, despite it being, you know, fantasy made up. There's, there's a lot of goodness in it and a lot of beauty and uh, advice on how to live my life. So to recap, we talked about character, generosity, the court of public opinion and how quickly it changes and how we shouldn't uh, hold ourselves too tightly to it or be led by it too much, the material world and the dangers of attachment to it, and the way death is dealt with in Islam. That is the end of chapter one. The next chapter we will do in our next episode. It is called The Shadow of the Past. We will recap this. We will make more connections. Please do send in your thoughts on this podcast, on this episode, last episode, Lord of the Rings, um, any connections that you've made that really impacted you with either Lord of the Rings or another book series or another book that really affected you. Uh, you can, once again, comment at facebook.com forward slash beyond what you see podcast or email me at beyond what you see podcast at gmail.com i'll put both links down below this recording and may peace be with you thank you for coming along don't forget to comment and have a wonderful day or night wherever you are